When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Schreiber. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Tennis Podcast, where it is Sunday evening in London and Solihull, where you find us this evening. We all have uh, Rome on our tellies, and it looks like Solihull, quite frankly, and has done all week. We're at the midway point of the tournament, sort of ish, I think it uh, got going officially on Wednesday. Monday, Tuesday was... um, qualifying but uh, yeah we're, we're sort of at the midway point and uh, I have got a match between Alexander Zverev and David Goffin on my screen uh, and everybody watching is wrapped in blankets um, and quite frankly it's just good to see tennis being played because uh, a lot of the tournament so far has been well wet as a solly whole weekend David what is going on and can it please change in the next 18 hours before I arrive in Rome because I've seen the forecast and I am most displeased by it. Yeah, yeah. It hasn't exactly been vintage so far, has it, uh, for the last week? I, I kind of feel like Rome and Solihull have swapped weathers for the day because we've actually had quite nice weather today. Um, but at least it didn't rain all day and it did mean that the catch-up that that they had at the tournament really made for a heck of a special day. Matches everywhere. You needed more screens than I own. Um, but I had a right good go watching as, as much of it as I could. Um, and it, I, do, I do think it's a brilliant tournament. And I actually have to say about this one, this day today has been one of the plus points to the longer tournament because you wouldn't have had this day on a week-long tournament starting on a Monday. This really was something you you get the feeling that in Rome they come out big time at the weekend. And because a lot of the matches are on outside courts or Pietrangeli, which is an accessible court on a grounds pass, and it's only, I think I saw it was €24 Euros to get in, the atmosphere was electric. It was so special at that tournament today. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about Pietrangeli uh, over the course of uh, this episode and I'm sure the next two uh, that we'll be recording midweek and after the tournament ends on Sunday because it is truly and we're sort of taken aback by it every year afresh aren't we it is truly one of the most 
special arenas in all of sport, I think, even when it is populated by people uh, wrapped in blankets, which is becoming a sort of iconic European clay court night session site, isn't it? I really hope this isn't a a foreshadowing of the French Open to come. I've seen enough people wrapped in, wrapped in blankets watching clay no, court tennis. No, we're saving it up, much. Catherine. We're saving up the good weather news. <laughs> Well, they do say that Rome is the clay court event most like the French Open. And, uh, yeah, it feels like the fans are warming up for Paris as well because that was a feature Roland Garros last year, wasn't it? Just hordes and hordes of night session fans in, in blankets. Mm. You two have been have been taking Pietrangeli chat to Twitter, I noticed, this morning. It was, ve- it was very sort of, I don't know, tennis podcast... 2018 2019 vibes i felt <laughs> normally we just do that on whatsapp these days but well what used to happen in 2018 david, i don't know i just david tweeted we a, used to tweet david more. tweeted a very sweeping definitive statement <laughs> from the general tennis podcast account so i felt like i needed to clarify from my own account <laughs> that i it's not that i specifically disagreed with the statement i just wanted to make the point that it was a very it was a subjective take, I think, being treated objectively. Look, this is really boring. I should Sorry. just... Well, it was the debate about Pietrangeli being, I think, David, you called it the best court in tennis. Mm-hmm. And I in said, look, I, in the world. And I, I think it's... I think it's the most beautiful or certainly the most... The most something, the most historic, the most artistic the most aesthetic something but i think the best i think everybody will have their own different take on oh yes they, on they what will. the best is no, um I, I was just uh you know it was just what i was you, feeling at the moment you were I was provoking debate and David, it worked and you, well i was you got exactly <laughs> what you wanted i was about to write the word discuss below it which i normally do and then i thought no no, I'm not going to because I, I genuinely look at this court and and because you questioned it, it made me start thinking. Now, do I regard it just as the most beautiful, or do I really regard it as the best? And I start to think, I don't think there is a downside to this court. I think it has got everything. It is sunken into the ground. It is surrounded by statues. You're sitting on. I mean, maybe it's not the comfiest. You know, you're sitting roof. on those those hasn't marble. Got yeah, a roof. okay, it's, hasn't got, but it's. You know, it soaks up the weather, it seems to me. They seem to play through anything on that court. And and the fact is people are wandering in on grounds passes on 24-euro tickets. It was 11 a.m. on a Sunday, and there wasn't a spare seat for Maria Sakkari against Marketa Vondrosova. It felt like the biggest deal in the world, that match, because of the atmosphere created. And I just don't... And they're so close to it, and they're enjoying every every single bit of it. It's perfection. Yeah, look, don't get me wrong. I I love that court. I'm not. I'm I'm playing devil's advocate to an extent. And it you're doesn't, right to you're right to do that though. You were right it, to because my um, wording wasn't wasn't quite right. It doesn't have a shadow problem, which in, which increasingly feels anomalous <laughs> uh, in tennis, doesn't it? Because. Mm. We do spend quite a lot of our lives whinging about shadows on our WhatsApp group, don't we? And I think I think with good cause. We will start talking about more interesting things. Um, but Matt, would you like to take the reins for a quick rant about shadows? 
Sure. Or would you like to save it for my <laughs> proposed uh, worst shadows in tennis podcast for a slow week, which is still or, or, which is still in the uh, brainstorm page? Would you like to take a Pierre Tranchley view? Oh gosh, uh, I think I'm going to go with the shadows. Decider. Decider. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. I think the shadows are particularly bad during the clay court swing and actually during this back-to-back double. Madrid is terrible for shadows, really bad. Uh, Why is Rome so bad? Because I think of courts with roofs as the worst shadow offenders. You know, Philippe Chetrier, the shadow got a lot worse after it was retrofitted with a roof, didn't it? I don't quite understand why... Rome is so bad. I mean, obviously, the answer to that is, you know, physics. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we won't delve too deep there. But ugh, to not have a roof and have bad shadows and it piss with rain all week just feels like, you know. You got me with the roof. Uh, I, it's not perfection because it doesn't have a roof. That's fair. Yeah, but then I know that something would be taken away from it if it did have a roof. Yada, yada, yada. Anyway, look, this episode of the Tennis Podcast is brought to you in association with On Location. I'm using On Location as a, a handy breakwater <laughs> here between between chat subjects. Do you see what I'm doing? Uh, on Location are the premium hospitality and experience provider. They provide packages via Steve Fogel's international tennis stores to all of the four Grand Slam tournaments, including the US Open, which is on sale now with fantastic tickets to watch the action throughout the year's final Grand Slam at Flushing Meadows in New York and hospitality packages to help you kick back and relax with all-inclusive food and drinks in a lounge and rooftop bar in between matches. We have a 5% discount for tennis podcast listeners. Just go to toursfortennis.com forward slash podcast, tours, the number four, tennis.com forward slash podcast, click the US Open discount section and enter the code FINALSLAM, all in caps, F-I-N-A-L-S-L-A-M for your 5% discount off your ticket and hospitality package. Brace yourselves, folks. The disclaimer is a coming. The coupon code Final Slam works when you purchase eligible 2023 US Open ticket and hospitality packages until May 31st, 2023 at 11.59pm Eastern Time. You can only use the code once and it cannot be used with other discounts or on previous purchases. You'll see your savings when you add an eligible package to your cart and use the code at checkout. This offer does not apply to hotel packages or other events from Steve Fogel's International Tennis Tours or on location and its subsidiaries. If you have any questions uh, pertaining to this offer, not just generally, uh, email <laughs> info at toursfortennis.com. See on location exp.com's purchase policy for more information. I don't know what more information you could possibly need, but it is there should you <laughs> want it. Now, before we get on to discuss what has happened so far in Rome, which we will, I promise you that, let's pick up where we left off last week, which was the fallout from the women's doubles final ceremony in Madrid, where the four finalists, including the champions, Victoria Zarenka and Beatrice Admire, were denied the opportunity to speak 
in the presentation ceremony uh, and they'd taken to Twitter to express their um, unsettlement and anger uh, at this and other notable other players had chimed in as well. At uh, the point of recording last week, the tournament had been silent on the matter. Of course, all of those players, Coco Goff, Jessica Pagula, the runners-up as well, they all then trooped off to Rome where they did, a lot of them did pre-tournament press and, as you would expect, were asked about what happened. Uh, And Jessica Pagula did not hold back. She said the following, I don't know what century everyone was living in when they made that decision or how they had a conversation and decided, wow, this is a great decision and there's going to be no backlash against this. I've never heard in my life we wouldn't be able to speak. It was really disappointing. In a $10,000 event final, you would speak. It spoke for itself. We were upset when it happened and told during the trophy ceremony we weren't able to speak. It kind of proved a point. Um, We made some inquiries behind the scenes and it became apparent to us that the WTA were not happy with what transpired in Madrid. And it also became very clear that IMG, who owned the Madrid event, realised that what happened was unacceptable. And then sure enough, a statement from the Mutual Madrid Open was forthcoming, but not until four days had passed after the ceremony, which had been last Sunday. The statement read thus, We sincerely apologise to all the players and fans who expect more of the Mutual Madrid Open tournament. Not giving our women's doubles finalists the chance to address their fans at the end of the match was unacceptable and we have apologised directly to Victoria, Beatrice, Coco and Jessica. We are working internally and with the WTA to review our protocols and are committed to improving our process moving forward. We made a mistake and this will not ever happen again. What is everyone's reaction to those uh, addenda to the the whole sorry tale in Madrid? I would say that IMG probably started to realise that this wasn't going away. It was escalating, it was snowballing, it was moving like wildfire on social media with people shocked, really. I think when people did discover it, maybe that didn't know it, they just cannot believe that this is happening uh, at a tennis tournament I think Jessica Bagula in particular handled herself brilliantly when she spoke and uh, and even when you were reading that out Catherine I find myself shaking my head I still can't quite believe that happened and what we lack in that statement from the tournament is any explanation as to why it happened and you know, yes, they've said it's unacceptable. But okay, how did you get to that point? How did you get to thinking that that was the right thing to do in the first place? Yeah, you're looking at your protocols, but come on. It's just, it's unbelievable to me that that that, that happened. Uh, of all the things that went on in Madrid, and there was, there was a lot, and there's years and years of it, that is the worst. That is the, to me, that 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 is the one that, Oh, it just really ins- upsets me thinking about it. And um, I'm I'm happy that they got dragged over the coals over it. And I'm happy that they have now given a an unequivocal apology for it. But 
there's still a lot to be done here, I think, to, to actually now prove that changes are going to be made. Yeah, there was a fantastic piece by Matt Futterman in the New York Times, wasn't there, midweek, um, which I I do wonder whether that was sort of the, the tipping point for this statement to come out. Um, who knows, it might well have been in the works b- before that, certainly the conversations were, but a really fantastic piece that drew a lot of traction and just highlighted how we need to not be treating this as an isolated incident. This is part of a culture in tennis of treating the women as second-class citizens. We have equal prize money at a select few events that was hard-fought and is still questioned by a lot of very powerful corners of this sport that is one thing that is great and I'm very grateful for it but it does not mean that women receive equal treatment anywhere on the tour I mean just to highlight what's going on in Rome this week the total prize money pool for the ATP there is $7,705,780 which is up 42.29% Uh, on last year and the total prize money pool for the WTA in Rome is 3,572,618 euros up 41.36% on last year. The women's champion will pick up just under half of what the men's winner receives with 521,754 euros for the women's champ and 1,105,265 euros for the men's. And the men's runner-up will earn more than the women's winner. The prize money in Madrid was equal. However, John Millman on Twitter drew your attention, David, to something that we've had on the agenda to talk about for a while, haven't we, which is this profit-sharing model for the premium product of longer masters events um help me out here david because i'm looking through the agenda and there's there's some algorithms in there which is yeah. which is not my preferred territory mm, yeah it's 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 interesting and john was you know he, i should also say he was one of the people that really put it to to madrid over this uh apology that they put out and he said you know just just treat people decently and then you won't have this problem and i think that that really summed summed it up very well but he but he did make the point to me when i was kind of at the start of the tournament i was celebrating the fact that madrid has equal prize money and and i kind of feel as though I don't want to always be be complaining about ones that don't. I also want to point out the ones that do, and 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 reference that that's good because it's an ongoing conversation. But he he said, yes, it is equal prize money, but there is a a profit sharing element that ATP players are getting, and as part of this deal, and and basically it's um. It's distributed as a sort of value per ranking point accumulated in the Masters 1000 events by the players. And what they do is they they work out the total profit share generally is is divided by the points that across the Masters 1000 to come up with a sort of value per point um, based on how much money each one of these Masters makes as a combination. Um, and then the players get given 
this amount of money. Um, so I then wanted to know from the WTA, well, do you have a profit sharing agreement? So I asked, and they don't. So it isn't actually equal price. I mean, it's equal prize money, but it's not actual equal money. Now, some people might say, well, yeah, okay, well, that's that's WTA's problem for not doing the deal with with the Masters 1000 tournaments. But I, I mean, and, and it is, but it's also, you know, I think that that needs to be publicized a bit more so that people know that these tournaments are still not paying these players equally because they're paying the men a, a share of their profits and they're not doing that with the women. Um, there's also the bonus pool, which uh, is given by the ATP to the top 30 players now. It's increased from the top 12 um, and so the top 30 players at the end of the year get a a share each of $20 million. That's a lot of money. That's up from $11 million. So well done, ATP. You know, you've raised this money, and the players will be happier and all this sort of thing. Again, I asked the WTA, have you got one of these? No, I haven't. Um, now, obviously, that there's a, that's about how much money they've got, and and, and there is a... A difference there in terms of how much money they've made and they've had the whole China thing and everything else but and whilst I accept all those arguments as I, uh, that people make the point is that it would be better if the two sports were combined the two governing bodies were combined they're playing a combined event in Rome they're getting half less than half the prize money they're playing a combined event in Madrid they're getting equal prize money yet there's, there's this profit share agreement just for the men i mean it's it's just not ideal is it so let's try let's try to do something about it is my view on it and um and i'm actually grateful to john for alerting me to that yeah yeah, ultimately, look, we understand all the reasons that, or, or most of the reasons that all of these things are the way they are. But our response to all of that is, okay, but let's make it right. Let's all work to, to make it right rather than trying to defend the reasons that it's wrong because it is wrong at the moment. We're a long way from true equality and that is that is not right. I'm going to quote you back to yourself, Matt. Uh, on the WhatsApp group earlier, you said, I do love the European clay swing, but the sexism and the shadows make it hard. <laughs> Bringing it back to the shadows. <laughs> uh, no, well, it's true, though, isn't it? I mean, every year we have these conversations. And I think what what Matt Futterman's piece did so well, I thought, was was point out the perhaps more subtle ways that women are not treated equally in tennis. And I and I do think that actually the Madrid women's doubles ceremony might be a significant moment because as as David said, I was I was surprised, but in a good way, by how much coverage that got. You know, that was real front and centre on the BBC Sport website, uh, other big news outlets as well were really covering that. And I think I think it resonated with people, but but generally the the inequality is more subtle than that, and I think um, I think Matt's piece did a really good job of laying that out, and also made the point that you know there are some events like Indian Wells, for example, and I know that that's funded by a billionaire, but that has made equality a priority, 
Whereas there are some events like Rome, which simply haven't. And it's pointed out in the piece that equal prize money is aiming to come in there by 2025. But there's also Paolo Velosa quoted in that piece saying, well, why isn't it equal now? Why are we having to wait a few years? Why is it why is it good news that it's just coming in two years? Why is it not happening now? And a spokesperson from the event, uh, sorry, from the Italian Federation wasn't made available for Matt to speak to. So I think I really do think Matt's piece is is significant there. I think I think we should, you know, I'm, I'm sure we'll we'll put a link to it in our show notes for anyone who hasn't read it. But it it really does lay out this issue and and explain some of the errors that that the WTA has made as well you know and yet some of those errors feels like the tournaments are hiding behind for example Matt's piece points to the fact that Rome or isn't mandatory for the WTA of players whereas it is for the ATP and the tournament uses that as a way to say well we can't guarantee that the top players are going to be there so therefore, we can't put so much money into that event. Well, everyone knows that in reality, all the top players are in Rome, unless they're injured or, or can't be. You know, the fields are are equal for those two events. So, yeah, props to Matt for for writing that piece and sort of summarising it so well. And yeah, I I despair at this time of year. Hence, hence the uh, WhatsApp message. Yeah, absolutely. Props to Matt. Uh, highly recommend a, a read of that article if you have time um, and we will put a link to it in our show notes on to the tennis in Rome uh, Zverev is just one I've switched over to Donna Vekic who is three to up with a break against the utterly inexplicable Ludmilla Samsonova who has some next level strapping on all of her limbs um, and is somehow competitive in this match. I mean, she's right there in the Vondrosheva, I don't understand you category of tennis player. Uh, but anyway, won't get bogged down in Vekic Samsonova because that'll be very much soon to be out of date tennis news. The most significant result, I think, that we've seen so far in Rome is the loss of Rina Sabalenka in her opening match to Sofia Kennan, Australian Open champion and French Open finalist, of course. That's the that's the achievement of Kennan's that I so often forget. Um, and it was a very deserved victory by Sophia Kennan. Very deserved indeed. Sabalenka posted on all of her social medias afterwards uh, about her fatigue didn't she, Um, you know, made it very clear that she just didn't have the gas in the tank to to compete, I don't think. That was my take out there. You know, Kenin was doing that head-bobbing bit between the teeth thing. She looked really dialed in and focused and saw an opportunity there. You know, it's pretty clear early doors that Sabalenka was on fumes. And I do think more mentally emotionally than than physically I suspect you know if that had been the French Open she'd have she'd have found something she'd have found a reserve but she just didn't have it in her to to go into the trenches and it it was a little bit Sabalenka 
of old, I suppose, just a lot of unforced errors and it was Kenin of old as well. Out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, I mean, from a Sabalenka perspective, I agree. It, it looked and seemed a lot like mental fatigue. As you said, she tweeted about needing to recharge the batteries. And it did get me thinking again about these these 12-day Masters events back-to-back. I think, you know, for for the women especially, who play best of three at the Slams as well, it's not that much difference now in terms of, the amount of tennis in the amount of time that you have to play it. You know, it's it's six matches, best of three, over for the top seeds, it's, it's 10, 11 days or so. And Catherine, you did the Sunshine Double this year. You know, you stayed on right through from the start of Indian Wells to the end of Miami. And, you know, it, it's gruelling. And I think it's gruelling for these players going deep. And I think we were surprised by how many players did go deep in Miami and Indian Wells but I probably shouldn't ever be surprised that some players there's going to be a drop-off after a really big event like that and Sabalenka it was a big deal for her winning winning Madrid that that took a lot of her took a lot from her also just coming off the back of Stuttgart as well and I think you know okay Igor Svontek seems fine in Rome but maybe Arena Sabalenko just didn't quite have it in her and just was was a little bit short that day and, and Kenin really really pounced on it. And there have been little signs from Kenin this year. Uh, semis in Hobart, I think. She played Rabatkina tough at Indian Wells. But this was, as you said, kind of out of nowhere and really did take me back. But credit to her for, for taking advantage of Sabalenka, who I think was was a little bit there for the taking, I suppose. I think nobody should have to do back-to-back 1,000 events without getting to go to a Taylor Swift concert between them. (laughs) New rule. Um, Just on Sabalenga, I do wonder... I didn't see this match. You guys were were telling me all about it. Um, I was away at the time. But but it, it did occur to me, maybe she's hiding a little bit behind that. Uh, that fatigue, which would be very understandable to be fatigued and to be affected. But she's got it all to prove that she's actually any good on this sort of clay court and in Paris as well. I mean, she's been beaten badly on these courts in the past and she's been beaten again here. So, you know... Uh, and look, I, I'm the one who said I thought she would. She wouldn't be. I said I, I think she will have a great, great run at one of these tournaments. Well, one of them she's lost in the first round, so um, there's only one to go. But yeah, it might 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 be an element of um, excuse making there. I definitely don't think it's ideal at all. Um, I was surprised at how kind of resigned to it she seemed, um, and accepting of it you know the the nature of that social media post suggested to me that she might have gone on the court in Rome thinking I'll I'll give this a go but I don't think it's there for me you know she did not seem at all shocked or surprised by that defeat which does surprise me um a little bit but yeah you're right David never passed the third round in in Roland Garros never been great shakes in Rome yeah, it it's it's not ideal for her French Open preparation for sure. Um, I think understatement of the podcast 
award goes to Matt for saying Svantec is, what did you say, fine in Rome? Good. Doing all right, Rome. maybe I said. Doing all right <laughs> in Rome. She's doing all right, Matt. Yeah, well, she was two love down today against Serenko and such is Igor Svantec's level of dominance and my high expectations of her. That felt like a, oh my God, I need to get Igor Svantec match on. What is happening? She's lost two games in a row. And of course, I did put it on and she then won 12 games in a row, just as she did in her opening match in Rome against former French Open finalist Anastasia Pavlyuchenkova. So six love, six love, six two, six love are her four sets in Rome. So yeah, doing all right. There was a a nice moment at the net with uh, Serenko, wasn't there? Yeah, it was um it was really something actually because I mean bear in mind Serenka's just lost two in love. Um but she's a Ukrainian player wearing uh one of the little Ukrainian flag ribbons on her shirt and she really wanted to catch Sviantek's eye and say I I really appreciate what you've been doing, saying and illustrating with the ribbon on your hat for the last year and year and a half um, to, to to show solidarity, to show support to Ukraine and Ukrainian tennis players, and and I and it was really really great to see Serenko just put that way ahead of any tennis match. You know, this was her opportunity at the net to say a few words, and and she did, and it was it, it was great to see. Jessica Pagula lost to Taylor Townsend, who I'm just rooting for so hard to to put something together in singles. She's been going great guns in in doubles, um, playing with Leila Fernandez, finalists in Miami, and then semi-finalists in uh, Madrid as well. And I suspect she's using that as as a platform for her singles. I mean, this is, you know, these are early green shoots, but we know how good she can be. I, I, I think about that match she played against Simona Halep at the US Open a few mm. years ago quite a lot. Like, <laughs> you, you had a moment today, Matt, where you remember that David Goffin once beat Thomas Burdick love and love in Rome. <laughs> you know, when just a match pops into your mind... That Taylor Townsend against Simona Halep match pops into my mind quite a lot. The most swashbuckling tennis match anybody is anybody's ever played, really, I suppose, relative to expectations. And I don't know what this means. I don't know what it means for Pagula, who hasn't hasn't had a great clay court season, I suppose, relative to, to last year. Fine in Rome. This is this is a, a not great result. Um, it, 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 in Madrid, rather, uh, it, it's an interesting one with Pagula. I found her quotes after I think her second win in Madrid really interesting, where she said she's so proud of herself for putting together wins against players on clay that really not that long ago she would have kind of defeated herself against. You know, she'd have. She'd have driven herself mad. She wouldn't have. She wouldn't have believed. I, I. I don't know. She's after picking her to win the Australian Open so confidently. I. I don't know. 
I don't know what to do with her now. What do we do with, with Jessica Bagula, Matt? I would say she's still not having many bad losses. Like, I think the Townsend one is, is, pro- is stood out to me because she's just been so reliably beating those sorts of players mm. for, like, the last year. Like, I think you have to go back kind of to Wimbledon or just after Wimbledon last year, where I think she lost to Petra Martic and she lost to Darius Saville back-to-back. Honestly, for losses where you think Pagula should have won that. I think a lot of her other losses have been against, you know, other top 10, top 15 players. And even those even those ones last year, I, I kind of give Pagula a pass because everything was going on with her mum back then and 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 that is still a part of her life as well and i think um generally she's still fine i do i do stand by kind of how i felt in australia where some players feel like they have a moment that they need to capitalize on and pagula was playing so well and Sviontek wasn't playing all that well and Sviontek had been Pagula's problem. It felt like that was such a big chance for her. But in the end, you know, Sabalenka's stepped up and Rabatkina's stepped up and maybe Pagula hasn't done all that differently. It's just maybe other players have, have stepped up and sort of become the the real contenders to challenge Sviontek now rather than Pagula. Um, but and I don't. Those two have got a gear she doesn't. That's have, it. I, think, I, I would um, say they've got bigger ultimately. games. Um, is absolutely made the most of her game and more. And I think, I think the clay court swing is is not going to be her favorite time of year. I, I know she did well in Madrid last year. That's that's always a bit of an anomaly. I think if she can make the second week in Paris, that would be that would be a pretty good French Open for her. And then. You know, she gets on the grass and and the American hardcourt swing, and and I think things could be things could be good for Pagula again. She'll be she'll be right there, I expect. When you were talking about that match uh, being beaten by Townsend, God, what I would love to see Townsend have her oh. on grass. Or oh, I mean, anywhere, but yeah, on grass but, that'd you know, be. Uh, she should be perfect for grass, shouldn't oh, she? She's she's fantastic. Um, I've got Vondrosheva is happening? Question mark on my agenda and I would like on, whoever wrote that to explain themselves <laughs> I'm with you Matt I'm with you look I'm not disagreeing I'm just electing never to express any kind of prediction or opinion <laughs> about Marketa von Drosheva ever because that way madness lies oh I'm, I'm right there with you uh but she is so good in these conditions, I think, especially. And going back to her run to the French Open final, what was that, 2019? That was a cold, damp, slow French Open. You know, that was why she had to play her semi final on Simone Mathieu because there were so many rain delays. And seeing her today when it was. And and the other day in Rome, when it's been those heavy conditions, she has taken apart Bianca Andreescu for the loss of just one game here. And then Maria Sakkari in straight sets, who she'd never even won a set against. And she picked Andreescu apart. Andreescu didn't play well, but Vondrosheva was was awesome. Her, her sort of down-the-line shots were brilliant. She's got such good hands. 
And then watching her today against Sakari, you just realised they're completely opposite players. You know, if they could if they could have each other's strengths, you would sort of form a kind of super player, I think, because Vondrosheva has none of Sakari's intensity or consistency. You know, Sakari is always week in, week out. We know what Sakari is. She's she's completely explicable as a tennis player, whereas Vondrosheva is is... <laughs> is the opposite, inexplicable, and yet has these great hands, has this vision on the court. The way she, the way she sees the court is just so magnificent, and she's able to always be sort of one step ahead. I think on clay, especially in these conditions, and I, I really, really want to see her play Iga Swiatek at this tournament. They're in, they're mm. in the same section. I think von Drosheva yeah. might have to go through Rybakina first. That's right. Uh, yeah. It's a really interesting section of the I, draw. I think she, I think she, if she's got her head screwed on for that match, I think she'll she'll beat Rebecca. Um, I I I personally think Von Drescher, I was just looking up. She's seventy in the world. Her highest ranking ever was fourteen. To me, if everybody's playing to the peak of their ability, she's comfortably a top ten player. And actually, I'd say she's a top five player. She's. I think she's brilliant in terms of just her ability. But there's a lot more to it. Than yeah, that. I think her serve is a weakness. It's it's very much a get the point started serve. And today she got away with it against Sakari. I could see Rebecca sort of stepping in and and causing that some problems. But once the point gets going, especially on a clay court, she can outmaneuver anyone. It's it's fantastic to watch. Uh, and yeah. Is she happening? <laughs> I've probably felt this way several times over the last four years or so, so probably not. But I, as David said, would love to see it because she's a joy to watch. There are tentative signs, aren't there, that Paola Bedosa might be happening again just a little bit or might possibly happen again in the future. Um, who's she beaten this week? She has beaten... Uh, Ons Kostyuk. and Marta Kostyuk and Ons and Annalena Friedsam yeah 7-6 in the third that Friedsam match was wasn't it she will now face Karolina Mukova in a match scheduled for tomorrow um, look I don't want I don't want to get carried away because I, I thought there were really good signs in Rome when she beat Coco Goff and then as we discussed on the podcast I was a a bit disappointed in her performance against Maria Sakkari in the round of 16. So, like, I don't, you know, I, I think it is going to be two steps forward, one step back for Bedossa. It's obviously not going to be the sort of comeback where she, you know, just suddenly wins something out of nowhere. It's obviously a building block situation. But I I do just wonder if she's building a bit of a foundation now just building a bit of a well of confidence that she can draw on in the tighter matches because we know how good the tennis is um and i'm so ready to see it i I, i've been particularly surprised this year that having had the terrible year that she had last year and you know we know a lot of the reasons for that she's been very um open about her struggles with mental health and I believe there'll be even more of that on the second part of the uh, the Netflix series and interestingly I believe Netflix are following her again this year despite her obviously results wise 
being a bit of a dud for them last year. They obviously found her story very compelling. Um, and yeah, I, I find that an interesting uh, editorial decision from them to continue following her. Um, I, 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 I'm, I'm caught here because I, I don't want to fall into the trap that I did in Madrid last week where I was like, oh, Bedosa's back, guys. <laughs> um, because it's obviously not going to be as linear as that, but she might be coming back. I mean, that's a good win over Jabir. Straight sets. Yeah, but Jabir is also coming back. Uh, I, I think it is a good win, um, but she's not there yet. Um, I, I, I just feel like the, there are shoots. I agree with you. There are shoots of recovery, but she's got to She's got to be tested against the better players, and a few times. I, 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 I'm not convinced yet. Okay, well, well, that's that then. <laughs> On to the men. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Early days here, but Djokovic and Alcaraz still remain on course to actually play one another in a tennis match. Big, Excellent. guys. It's big. This, this time <laughs> next week, it might have just happened. 
Uh, Djokovic has just uh, a couple of hours ago beaten Grigor Dimitrov uh, in three sets. David, David and his relentless, irrepressible hope for Grigor Dimitrov is one of my... <laughs> It's one of my favourite things about David Law. And not just that it exists, the fact that he's willing to state it so so publicly to us. Every time Grigor Dimitrov plays one of these matches that you deep down feel like he's definitely not going to win, David will send a message to the group saying, just just got a feeling Dimitrov could, uh, could, could cause some problems today. And I suppose he did, David, cause... Caused Djokovic one or two problems. Yeah, Dimitrov and predictions <laughs> and golf have a lot in common in my life because all of them, no matter how many times they show themselves to be a lost cause, I only need the merest flicker of good news to believe that it's all going to turn around. And everything's going to be just just amazing. Um, and actually, in this match, look, he was four one down. Djokovic was Djokovic is a nightmare for him, I and mean, he's a nightmare for a lot of people, but particularly Dimitrov. I mean, Djokovic used to have his way against Roger Federer more often than not, particularly in the last sort of seven or eight years. And Dimitrov is a much worse version of Roger Federer, isn't he, with a single handed backhand and and a serve that's not as good and and so forth. And and I mean, it's absolutely dominant the head to head for for Djokovic, and, and you can see why when they play each other. So it was really interesting when Djokovic was a set and a break up that it then turned because and 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 it was on both sides of the net Dimitrov played some brilliant attacking tennis and took it to him and Jamie Delgado his who's coaching him these days was was audible um and heard to be saying go for the forehand but but it wasn't just that it was he, he sensed that that Djokovic's irritation at his lack of control with his footwork on those courts he he was not enjoying the surface that the the particular clay after all the rain and everything else he didn't feel like he had a, a proper footing and and Dimitrov was extending rallies using his slice backhand just to make sure he kept peppering the baseline and the footholds and all the rest of the, the the imperfections in that area of the court to just irritate Djokovic some more and he and he came back from 4-2 down to win the the second set 7-5 it was a very very good comeback but then classic Djokovic dusts himself down and I suppose you might say classic Dimitrov couldn't carry it on and the third set was 6-1 Djokovic is so good at regrouping in those situations even when it's not best of five now I mean that's it's a good win for him today I think and just to compare the Djokovic we've seen in in Rome to the Djokovic we've seen on on clay so far this season I would say it's been quite a lot better I think I've been looking at Rome as the moment okay is this when Novak Djokovic clicks into gear on on the clay and I would say it hasn't hasn't quite happened yet he did have some problems against Thomas Martin Echeverian in the first round. He he actually was practicing pre-tournament without the sleeve on his elbow. And I thought, well, that's that's a really good sign. And he comes out onto court against Echeverry without the sleeve, gets broken in the very first game of the match and puts it on. And I thought, oh, OK, here we go. Maybe there is still an issue here. 
He said after the match it was mainly to warm the elbow up because he was playing late at night. It was cold. That can cause some problems for that elbow. He played today against Dimitrov without it. So I think I think his his elbow seems to have improved. There was a graphic that came up on on the coverage I was watching saying that his forehand speed was was up eight or nine kilometers per hour compared to Monte Carlo earlier in the season. So I think there are some good signs for Djokovic. He's got a really tough draw if he wants to make it, you know, to win the event. He might have to go through Runa, Sinner and Alcaraz. That would that would really test him. But you know he And Norrie. And Norrie as absolutely, yeah. I've 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 done the classic writing off Cameron Norrie thing. I apologize. Uh, but yeah, I think he's had some adversity. He was sick on the court in his in his first round match. He he completely threw away the second set today, as as David's described. So all's not quite right. And yet Djokovic in Rome, he's so good there, and I I feel like he's he's starting to get the good feelings again on on the clay. He, he's quite a compelling watch at the moment. Maybe. Um... Maybe the the sleeve has become a comfort blanket for him, like it did with Milos Raonic. Do you remember those those times when he started wearing the sleeve uh, for you know injury based reasons, and then it became a sort of crutch for him? And then Tennis Canada on Twitter started trying to make hashtag Believe in the Sleeve happen. <laughs> Remember that? Yeah. What yes. a time. What a time <laughs> to be a, alive. I had a rumour that Milos Raonic might be coming back today. But... Look, we are running well, out of time, David. And <laughs> I don't, I, we don't have the time for me to process my thoughts about Milos Raonic being a part of our lives again. Uh, Alcaraz beat Albert Ramos Vinulas in his opener very comfortably. Um, which I suppose is a bit of a sort of benchmark for him because, of course, it was Ramos Vinilas that challenged him so much, uh, took him to five sets, I think, took him to, to match point uh, in at the French Open last year. Um, so very comfortable victory for Alcaraz. He now plays somebody that I have never heard of, Fabian Marojan of Hungary. So Fabian, I'm sure, is great. I'm backing Alcaraz in that one. Um, elsewhere in the men's, uh, Fabio Fanini beats Andy Murray in a in a very throwback opening match and then got thrashed uh, earlier on today by Holger Runa in a match where yeah. Runa was, was booed onto court. Onto yeah. court, guys. Onto court. He, he was smiling. He, he, and and God, he's a good player, Runa. I mean, aside from the obvious basic talent, he's just such a clever player. He knows what to do to discomfort opponents. I mean, in the first match of his, he played Artifice, of of whom we're we're so excited. I mean, particularly I, I'm seeking out every time Feast plays at the moment, and he he was hitting the ball big and so quick. But Runa is just clever, and he just dissects players. He, he turns their power back on them, and um, he looks really good. It reminded me of when when Runa destroyed Alexander Zverev in Munich last year. It was a real eye opening moment for me about him. And then we saw, I think, didn't he beat Sitsipas at the French Open as well, mm. Runa? Mm. Um, yeah. And he's, I mean, I know he's 
obviously his win in Paris indoors tells you everything, but on clay, you get to see his full game and he's got time to show it to you. And God, he's really looking like a, a danger to, to, to big names. I think he's right there behind the, the top couple. Yeah, I'm so signed up for Runa Djokovic quarterfinal in Rome. I mean, obviously it won't happen because the forecast for next week is uh, is an apocalypse. But um, yeah, hoping, you know, at some point we get to see that. <laughs> and also Cameron Norrie. Don't forget, Cameron Norrie might might also stop that happening. Um, I know, I know <laughs> irony when I hear it, Matt. Um, the best thing I can say about Runa is that he made that match with Fanini kind of boring because I was I was I was I was ready for drama as you said he's literally booed onto court I I sort of felt really sorry for the umpire having having to be in charge of that one I just imagine him like the sort of Ben Affleck meme where he's where he's smoking and the sort of the abject misery of life all across his face when he realized he got that court assignment because that must just be an absolute nightmare. And Fanini tried his best to make it a nightmare for him, arguing over a over a line call. But Runa seemed to seemed to embrace being booed onto court, and actually, I think, kind of went out there with a real okay. Then I'll just I'll just show you what's what with my tennis. And barring a little mini comeback from Fanini in that first set, Runa was just several classes above, really, and. He's such, he's such a good player, as as David's described. Yeah, I really rate Runa. He just, he picks the right shot. He always picks the right shot. His tennis IQ is is so high. And I, I love to watch players like that. I really want Runa Djokovic to happen. Happy for Nori Runa to happen also. <laughs> and Nori versus whoever Runa is playing in the next round. Don't know who that is. Anyway, all, all, oh, all tennis is good tennis. It's a sensation that Runa has next. Is it Popperin? It is. Didn't Popperin, Popperin beat Felix Auger-Liassime? He, briefly, we don't have much time here. It's not going well for Felix, is it? No. Succinct. You Appreciate told me to it, be Matt. brief. <laughs> Matt well. says no. It really is no. <laughs> well, look, he had a um, he had an injury, didn't he? And he's 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 not come off well after that injury. Uh, he's lost, I think, his opening match in both Madrid and mm. Rome. He might play again before Roland Garros. That wouldn't surprise mm. me if he if he takes a late entry into somewhere just to try and get some wins. Uh, Dan Evans lost a match that lasted nearly four hours. The longest three-set match of the year so far against Roberto Carbias Baina. I tuned in for the latter stages of this. Once it had, ju- it had just become the longest three-set match of the year, and I saw somebody, t- quite possibly David, tweet about it. So I, I put it on, um, and it's just... I don't know why I tortured myself by putting it on, because at that point... You're just going to watch somebody lose after playing for four hours, which is just desperate. Uh, and that somebody was was Dan Evans. So thoughts and prayers with with Dan Evans at this difficult uh, I time. Did, I, I did I did dial a Dan Catherine briefly, and uh, he 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 just said, "This sport, man." There it is. 
Yep. Isn't that what Tanasi Kokonakis tweeted after his match against Andy Murray at the Australian Open this year? That's very correct. good, Matt. Mm. Very good. Do you think? Do we think Dan Evans knew he was quoting <laughs> Tanasi Kokonakis? I'm fairly sure he would be capable of coming up with it as an original. <laughs> mm. So one to ponder. Um, I'm going to rollick through a few bits and bobs of other news, and some of it we will come back to in future episodes because um, they deserve more time and attention. But for now, uh, I'm just going to rollick through uh, for due to time constraints. Um, we had the news this week that Amanda Anisimova is taking an indefinite break from the sport. Um, th- this one is, I mean, it's obviously really sad to see. I-, I I feel so torn when I see announcements like this because I think, wow, it's really sad that you have found life on tour so desperately difficult recently. But I also feel so pleased that they've had the the courage and the strength to make what must be an unbelievably hard decision to step away for however long that must be. You know, the pressure that you're under to just stay on the hamster wheel, keep your sponsors happy, you know, keep your, your small business, aren't you? You're employing goodness knows how many people. Even if you're miserable and you know it's bad for you, there are significant pressures to just stay out there and and put yourself through it. So I really applaud her for, for making this decision. And um, look, she's not the only only player to, to have made this decision. It's I feel like, you know, without any data on it, this is becoming more common. Players, particularly female players, needing to take some time away from the game. I feel like there's probably something that needs to be analysed there and discussed and looked at more closely. Now is not the moment for that, but please know that that is on our radar. As is the fact that uh, we've had the announcement that electronic line calling uh, will be adopted across the ATP Tour, the whole ATP Tour from 2025. Final testing is being done on clay at the moment. No word on whether that applies to the WTA Tour. Um, no plans that we're aware of at the moment. Um, so look, that's something that we will end up discussing at some point. I am sure we've had the news this week that the Billie Jean King Cup finals this year will be going to Seville in Spain, which sounds very fun. They do great oranges. Lovely. Um, and I'm sorry to end on such a sad note, but we've also had the news just uh, a couple of days ago that Owen Davidson has passed away. Um, Somebody that was a a big part of Billie Jean King's life and career. She tweeted that he was a Hall of Fame tennis champion who proudly represented Australia in Davis Cup, a man who was my mixed doubles partner and a longtime friend to Alana and me. Owen was the only man with whom I could win the mixed at Wimbledon. Together, we won eight major mixed titles. Our hearts are broken, but we find peace in the lifetime of wonderful memories we shared with our friend Davo. Um, Really moving tribute there. We also had Joel Drucker on the International Hall of Fame website writing that Davidson was the most accomplished mixed doubles player in tennis history. In 1967, he won all four 
major mixed doubles titles. The first with Leslie Turner, then poor old Leslie uh, got binned off and he won the next three <laughs> with Billie Jean King. Look, we all know that when Billie Jean King comes a calling, you don't say no. Yeah, um, I'd say yes. Exactly. Uh, in 1968, he played in the first ever match of the Open Era, beating John Clifton in the first round of the Bournemouth Hardcourt Championships. That is, that's one of those nuggets of tennis information that I'm really going to try and retain because I feel like one day I'll be able to impress somebody in an extremely niche pub quiz with that fact. Um, so our thoughts are with the friends and family of Owen Davidson, um, who obviously left a huge impact on a lots on lots of people uh, and on the sport of tennis. And that is it for the tennis podcast for this week. I'll just remind you uh, that a new episode of Tennis Relived went up. On Friday for Friends of the Tennis Podcast, it is our Nick Bollettieri episode contributions from Jimmy Arias, Jim Courier, Mary Carrillo. Really fantastic contributions and some fantastic colour about the life of a, a man that is so deeply ingrained in the sport of tennis for the last 40 years and who we lost so uh, do become a friend of the tennis podcast if you'd like to to be able to listen to that and our whole back catalogue back catalog. the link to do so is in our show notes and you can sign up to the newsletter to be the first to find out about our plans for Roland Garros Relived which we are trailing hard and teasing hard but not quite announcing the content of just yet uh, and finally but by no means least, that's a mixed uh, saying, isn't it? But I think you get what I mean. Our episode mascot for today is Bianca, owned by Michael Clary. Bianca is a four-month-old black and tan coonhound. She was born at Wyeast Kennels, just outside of Portland, Oregon. She flew to her new home of Calgary on October 21st, 2022, she is a happy puppy, says Michael. Um, Bianca is my first experience of a coon hound. There aren't, I, I like to think there aren't many dog breeds. I don't know, but a coon hound is new to me. Um, she's absolutely gorgeous. I'm trying to get a sense of scale in this photo. Uh, my feeling is that at four months old, if she's this size, she's she's going to be a big one. <laughs> Um, but she's absolutely beautiful, quite spanially, I would say. Named after Bianca Andrescu, do we think? Well, let's assume yes, mm. unless Michael tells us otherwise. Good choice. Mm. So that is lovely. Bianca will have a picture of her in our newsletter. If you haven't subscribed to the newsletter, what are you playing at? Get on board that train immediately. <laughs> we have our mascots. David has Maisie. I've got Xenia. Oh, Matt has Darwin. Billie Jean is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. We have our top folks and executive producers, Hannah, Jamie and Drew. And we have shout outs, Matt. We have Claire Evans in Leeds. All right, Claire. Hello, Claire. Like Dan Evans. Hey. I hope you've had Very a better good. week than Dan, Claire. And like Claire Liu. 
tennis player from America. Very good, David. Thank you, Claire. Claire says, Catherine might be interested to know that I also went to Nottingham Uni and was a games maker at the London 2012 Olympics. Oh, I wish I could go back in time and be a games maker. (laughs) Very envious, Claire. Well done, you. We've also got Caroline Alcock in South Buckinghamshire. Right, Caroline. Hello, Caroline. Like Caroline Garcia or Caroline Garcia. Yes. Um, Wozniacki. Wozniacki. Dolehide. Wozniacki and Dolehide. (laughs) All all good Carolines. And Uh, finally... Oh, I was going to come up with another Caroline, but I feel like we've covered off Carolines. Thank you, Caroline. (laughs) Cheers, Caroline. And finally, we've got Josh, who we met in Indian Wells. We met Josh and his family. And Josh's mum, Wendy, has been in touch to say that Josh is graduating from med school in New York this week. So he will soon be Dr. Josh. So a shout out and a congratulations to Josh from us. Good work, Josh. so cool. Wow. Amazing. Congratulations, Josh. That is a heck of an effort. Um, I remember meeting Josh and family. We loved it when families came to the booth in yeah. Indian Wells, didn't we? Yeah. Very, very wholesome, heartwarming stuff. So and we were chuffed, chuffed to hear from Wendy the other day. That was that was lovely. It was always fun trying to spot who the main listener was, and with Josh, it was very obvious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was and we love you for that thank you josh and congratulations that is it for this week's first tennis podcast but we'll have another one coming at you midweek uh covering off all the events in rome and then we'll have another one at the end of the tournament they're coming at you thick and fast at the moment team that is it for now though we'll speak to you soon 